Hey, everybody, and welcome to the What is this, honey? podcast, where we will be discussing everything from pop culture to reality TV to true crime documentary to my life and everything in between that makes you scratch your head and ask yourself, what is this, honey? Hello, everyone. Welcome back. As always, I am your host, Brandon. And today I have, oh my God, you know how in the community we talk about mother, mothers. I have my mother here today, motherfuckers. I've got Jamie Beeman, okay? Acclaimed actress, fucking podcast host, the best Marlena Diedrich impersonator to have ever walked the motherfucking planet. Jamie, say hi to the people. Hello to the people. Mama will provide. Mama. I'm so glad to be here. Mama will provide for y'all y'all hoes and y'all bitches out there, okay? <laughs> I met Jamie Bingo. working together and it was one of those transcendent moments where I was in the space and like y'all know me, I talk my shit like I'm a bad bitch, but I, I immediately was like, what is this what's happening honey what is this jamie is one of the most gifted actors i've ever had the pleasure of not only working with but like working alongside like being able to be a sparring partner and to work with you on stage was one of the best gifts of my life just saying and so jamie and i um i mentioned to you guys on my stories and um in my what is this honey podcast Instagram that I have been featured on Jamie's podcast. And you guys are like, who the fuck is this? He's hot. I'm like, yeah, he's hot. Oh, okay. So now he's here and you can hear his sexy voice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of my least favorite things to listen to is me talking. And why I decided to do podcasting with my queenie, queenie ass, like Jewish Northeastern nasal twang who knows why we do the things we do my friends but we we do them to keep going you know samuel beckett the great playwright and poet had this quote and i don't have the full quote but you can look it up and google it on your google machine but if the the phrase ends with i can't go on i'll go on Mm. i can't go on i'll go on with no punctuation you know it's just like you just keep moving forward you just keep moving Uh, that's that's all I got uh, from, you know, from Mother Wisdom. Mother today. Wisdom, uh, it will, more pearls will fall from the tree. It's really interesting because <laughs> I did not preface Jamie at all. Um, you know, over here, we like to get down to the low down dirty mess. So I wanted I to that. just, you know, start out so that we could get at some pearls and some wisdom because really the theme of the episode today is about inheritance. And I think a lot of you little Barbies out there think about cash when you think about an inheritance, but I think about it as in the gay community specifically, this transfer of history, of information, of power um, from people who have lived before us and who have experienced things. And that is what Jamie represents in my life. Um, And so it's just really great to have you here. It's wonderful to be here. And you know, you know how it is. I mean, I, I try to explain to people that the theater is a received tradition and received traditions are are under uh, dispute quite a lot these days, mm-hmm. depending on 
where you're receiving it from. <laughs> uh, but it is the truth. Uh, it is it's it's ancient. It's about it's about handing something down. It's about uh, it's about little superstitions and traditions and 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 ways of, of of addressing each other and treating each other and and thinking about the work we do. Uh, there's a whole artistic tradition, and then there's the gay received tradition. And I, I was lucky, you know, uh, guys of my generation, we didn't get to have our gay mamas the way we would have liked because they were decimated by the AIDS. Not to start on a down note, but- uh, It's real, bitch, it's real. I was, It's real, it's real. And I was lucky because one of my mother's best friends was an older gay man who was well into his, I mean, he had to have been into his 60s when I- was taken into his home. He and his partner of many, many years had an extra room. They lived in the gayest of the gay neighborhoods of Boston <laughs> in the South End in a fabulous townhouse. And I had been living with my mom all through college. I was very sexually repressed as one was in the mid, mid 80s. And they took me into their home and Paul handed me books. Mm. He handed me Edmund White. And he handed me James Baldwin. Do you know, I did not even know James Baldwin was black until after I had read Giovanni's Room. I, to me, it was I didn't like, know James Baldwin wrote he was books. My gay <laughs> I just thought he was like an activist. And then someone was like, bitch, read a book. What? Read well, a book. <laughs> talk about intersectionality. I mean, James Baldwin's one of my heroes. Absolutely one of my heroes. And uh, for, for the reason that that he was an activist, absolutely an activist, and he was the mentor of people like Maya Angelou and, mm. and, and Nina Simone, who like sat at his knee. There's wonderful footage of him like holding forth in this mellifluous way that he did uh, with like Nina Simone at his, at his feet, looking up at him like, a, like an adoring child. I mean, like a mother. He was just a brilliant man. He wrote, well, he was a mother yeah. and wrote his first novel at the age of 13 while going to a hideous inner city public school in, in Harlem, uh, you yeah, know, beautiful. it's nurture, it's nurture, not nature. It's nature, not nurture folks. Oh, it just is. You're, it just you're, is. You're born with that. Right. Yeah. And you can so, learn. Yeah, I mean, so I had my gay mama hand me Giovanni's room and hand me a boy's own story and hand me the front runner and the Lord won't mind mm -hmm. and all of those forbidden novels of gay love. And then to find out in college, cause I went to college in the, in the eighties and there was this big art house cinema uh, um, movement at that time. And all of these great British films like Room with a View and, and oh, you know, all of these, yeah. like My Beautiful Laundrette, which was Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, if you don't know My Beautiful Laundrette, because you, you might not, some younger folk, um, it was one of the first gay romance movies I ever saw. And it was from Eng England. And it was about this, this kind of tough inner city guy who wasn't really overtly gay necessarily, but who falls in love with this this other young man of color who I think is East Indian. And and it's like gay love in 1985 or 86. And I haven't and seen I it. So I'm like, like I'm pissed at myself because oh, I like to know, I like to, you know me, I like to know everything. <laughs> my beautiful laundrette. My beautiful laundrette was the first time I saw Daniel Day Lewis in anything. This was before mm. my left foot, I I believe. Because that was the first time I saw him in. Okay. Yeah. But this was his like gay romance moment. And to find out that Ian e. Forster, who wrote Howard's End and Room of the View and all the things, wrote a gay novel that mm -hmm. was banned 
in mm -hmm. England until the 1970s. We're talking something that was written in like the early part of the 20th century. Um, and it was a gay romance and it was, it was banned because they end up happy. Like yeah. the gay protagonist ends up with a lover and they run away together and and isn't that so crazy? Yeah, I think that. that has like a, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that yeah. that has a lot to do with a lot of the anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ legislation that we're seeing coming forward because the narrative of you're gay, you die. You're gay, you're promiscuous, you live a life of, you know, you know, being a sodomizer and all of this stuff. But now we're seeing- Only if you're all doing it right. Well, <laughs> that's why we need our mothers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honey. You know, if you're gonna do something, do it to the best of your ability. I know that's right. <laughs> so I think that uh, that has a lot to do with on. it because you are seeing more positive representation. And before we get down and we just drag everybody, because you were getting to it, people. We gonna drag people. Oh, I'm gonna drag some shit. I <laughs> I need to know how you felt about bros. Well, bros. Let's just start. Hose. Let's fucking start there because I, I was gonna ask you these people. How are you feeling as someone who was like such a hot piece, like coming <laughs> like your, your little flower blooming at this like great time of like art and change? Because even outside of being gay, just like being young in the 80s, I can't fucking imagine what it was like to, you know, and you're doing your female impersonation act and all that stuff. How do you feel like it is now? Because when you, when you think about representation, and bros, which I auditioned for on four occasions, you guys, they really tried no their way. Best. They tried their best to get me in it. I ended up losing my they role. Didn't manage, they didn't get you in it or any other brown people in it. They had, they, listen, they had a quota clearly because <laughs> I looked and saw like the mm -hmm. one role that I was like, oh, I definitely was going to book that. And he's Asian. So I'm, I'm happy about it. There was that Asian, but that's the other white me. You know that. Right. And then so I think like. Asian's the other white me. What are we contributing now? What are we creating now that I can pass on to another generation? Like bros? What do you think? What do you think? I mean, uh, honestly, mm. I, 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 first of all, bros harken back to the 90s. Like yeah. when I moved to New York in 1993, there was one type of gay man you could be. Like the White, Chelsea gay? Hot. Like, and hot meaning like bodybuilder, washboard abs, no fat on your body, buffed body, shaved hair, all, like cloned yeah. body, beautiful Chelsea boys. Yes. And that movie, that bros movie was just a throwback to the elite Fire Island, you know, physical yeah. fitness, gorgeous hunks that all fuck each other and all hang out at the pool kicking with each other and exclude everybody who's not the same as they are. <laughs> and I thought, and then the, the, the star of the movie has the audacity to come out after the thing tanks at the box office. First right. of all, everything was tanking at the box office except for Top Gun and <laughs> Black Panther 2. Uh, because nobody wanted to go to the movie theater. Yeah, it was it's like, and then he blamed it on COVID. everyone else. And it's like, no, And then really. he says, if you, don't, if you don't go see bros, you're a homophobe. It's like, bitch, straight I'm gay people and I don't see it. Watch two men get it on, you know. Girls will go out with their bachelorette gr girl group and get, right. you know, get martinied up and they'll go see the two men get it on. Because so there is a, a, a strata of young ladies mm -hmm. who like to see the men, you know, mash on each other. But 
nobody's a homophobe because they didn't come see your elitist, like, like thin as paper, sad little, you know, romance of, of, of bromance. First of all, gay men who call each other bro. It's just. He thinks the lady doth protest. Yeah. And it's just. That's just. Yeah. yeah. No. And yeah, we just have to see. <laughs> because when I think no, about that movie I mean, and no. what it's trying to promote, what it's trying to, Ooh. for me, it's like, oh, you're trying, you're still assimilation gays. You're still trying to show that like, oh, but like, we're normal. And like, we, my, you guys, again, the cat, she wants but to be I part of the podcast. That- so fucking bad. She'll, she'll give up. Don't worry. And also every time I say it and I listen back to the podcast, you can't hear her. So you guys probably also think I'm insane. But my cat is at the present moment absolutely screaming like Billy Eichner about bros to the press. You might have heard that one. <laughs> oh, I hear it. I hear it. I hear it. Well, um, look, I felt the same way about Viola Davis coming out on the red carpet at Warrior Queen and saying, if you don't buy a ticket to this, you're supporting the narrative that black women can't rule at the box office. I'm like, bitch, multiple Oscar nominee. Get out of here. Winner at Get that point. out of here. Get out of here. And also, Your movie let's sucked. just say- Everyone knew it was going to suck and nobody went to see it because they knew it was going to suck. And Girl, like, here's please. the thing. I personally rather enjoyed Lion King Lion King, LOL. <laughs> I personally enjoyed yes! the Lion King. I personally the musical. enjoyed it. Warrior Queen, the musical. <laughs> because I I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that I wasn't going to see this like action masterpiece such as Black Panther or this like emotional, you know, tale. Wonder Woman or you know, something yeah. like that. Like I knew what it was meant to be, but I Look, do think it's if very she had had a little bit of self-awareness and a little bit of humor, because this is sorely lacking, a little bit of humor about if she had just said on the red carpet, yeah, girl, you know, I did this movie to get into shape and I had a personal trainer and I did all these things and look at me, I'm ripped and and in my strapless gown with my, you know, Harry Winston jewels on the red carpet. Have some, have a little bit of perspective. It's all I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with all of you. Went out there, yeah. Like Hollywood, whatever work hard do what you want but also realize it's not mid it's not like midwestern moms with their kids <laughs> fault that your movie didn't work okay we're gonna we're gonna have a teaching moment oh jamie the tell cat? them what you think about that about that well the look all i can say is that there's an added sp- spice being added to this the spicy conversation about representation, about who's telling the stories and who gets to tell what story and who's entitled to have a story told about them. And now there's these new uh, guidelines. If you wanna be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar in 2024, you have to tick certain boxes in terms of race and LGBT and all these things. First of all, we have the production code. And if you really want to get into that, we can get into 30 years of the fucking production code in Hollywood Mm -hmm. and how that turned out (laughs) for LGBT people and for Black people and for women and for everybody else. We don't go back to another set, a flipped set of parameters and rules that are going to hem people into making bad choices that are ultimately going to hurt people not you know it's not about it's time for certain majorities of people to be hurt if that's your goal you need to do some talking to the baby jesus well and i think also about the way that we got going to be in the now 
like in our world, especially like as a, like the United States of America, we did not get here organically. Like it was very intentional. <laughs> like, yes, of course. Hello. Like, let's look at the history of the world. It has been very intentionally like p- certain people have been left out. And so I think that letting yeah. people in, because don't let me start talking about affirmative action because I'll scream. But if we start oh, well, to I let know. people, just let people in who wouldn't be seen before, then that's great. That's equity. Yep. We're not, we don't need to just like remove everyone because let's be honest, they're all going to die. Let's, let's look at the strike. And just do great stories. Just do great stories. Okay. So like John McWhorter and I did a podcast thing together where we talked about, the, he's a musical theater queen. This is one of the things I love about John. John and I. Some of your listeners are going to know who John McWhorter is. John and I were teenagers together. We went to college together. And we shared a room in in the dorm together. And he discovered the musical theater repertoire through me and now as a connoisseur. I mean, he is a connoisseur. He's a musical theater queen, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, uh, and I snarkily was making a point that all of the most successful Black musicals in the Broadway repertoire that are done forever and that have been made into Oscar-winning films were written by white Jews and mostly gay white Jews. And nobody's saying, let's go in and rewrite the book to Dreamgirls because a white Jew wasn't like Michael Bennett and, you know, wasn't entitled. No, because it's successful. So we need to get real with this. This is the part we need to get real with. I think we We are real. I think think, think people, I think people are, you know, there's been a huge shift in how things have been done, because let's be all the way real, honey. All the movies that were being played when you were a kid were all the same, and everyone looked exactly the fucking same, and the plot lines were all yep. the fucking same. And That's why we dealt with when that. something like Sounder came along or Roots was on TV, you were glued to it yep. because it was something else that you was important. These were legacy moments for my when I was growing yeah. up to see anything that delved into the corners of the of our culture and, and where people were being you know eclipsed for in my house it was an event but then again well that's the I thing you have what, to remember who you lived with because most well, people my did not parents have were theater people no yeah they did not <laughs> they, people didn't have this open minded way and my sister of, was black so well, yeah yes, yeah i had yes, a black yes. sister so yeah there's well, that. when i think when i talk to my in-laws uh, <laughs> and like they really and they don't have a hateful bone in their body but there are two different worlds that people live in right that's right they're and in their own it's like oh yeah space. well you know in the black neighborhoods and i'm like the black neighborhoods what the fuck oh, God. first of all you live in a white neighborhood that's called Chictawaga because it's native <laughs> american you fucks oh like it's oops. just that sort of acknowledgement so, well and you know what i'm gonna don't be honest with you None of that bothers me. It does not feel like I'm being prevailed upon or like it feels like a moment in time no. as a part of it like It would be this fine transition. if they were passing the hat. If you're passing the hat at the same time you're making a land acknowledgement and Thank say you. your money today will go to help First Nations children access good education exactly. or blah, 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 then do it. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of people puffing themselves up with all kinds of enlightened progressive very ideas. Woke. You know what, honey? <laughs> I've read Foucault. You haven't, bitch. Okay. <laughs> I've read Derrida and I know where these things come from. And I've read Kimberly Crenshaw. How many of you have read Kimberly Crenshaw? I have. 
uh, quite eye-opening and amazing how things get taken from a conceptual place and then elaborated upon or, or stretched out of proportion into whatever it is people want them to be and then they speak authoritatively on it. You know what? I try not to talk about things I don't know anything about. Yeah. That's kind of where I try to draw the line. But if I know something about it, you want to come for me? I got receipts from yeah. most of the things that we're going to discuss. Now, is my opinion the opinion? No. Of course not. Of course not. No, but course I would not. ask you. So this but also it's like we have different thing. opinions and you know, yeah. there's there's always gonna be three sides to every story because that's just human nature. Everyone is we can't help but be we don't we, we may not all be selfish people, but to a certain extent, everyone, every single human is a bit self-centered and there's a self-preservation yes. that comes we out. Have to be. And um, I think that- You know what Fran Leibowitz, Fran Leibowitz says about uh, one of my favorite quotes of hers. If you don't know Fran Leibowitz, guys, watch Pretend It's a City on Netflix. She's just hilarious. She does Yeah, I mean, she's she definitely does. opinionated. We, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely say that. She well, definitely thinks she's right about everything, but- She's a salty old <laughs> New York dyke from another era who doesn't give a shit. And I love her, but she says, the opposite of talking is not listening. The opposite of talking is waiting. Mm -hmm. which to me says everything you need to know about human nature while we're having this conversation you know you're thinking about what you're going to say next you're thinking about <laughs> how you look when you say it or how you sound when you say it or what what whether you're getting the reaction you want so then create an avatar create a false self that you project on the social medias and then you're looking for certain responses in writing and mm -hmm. in emojis and in likes and comments. People, gotta get real. You're not really being real. Yeah. <laughs> You're not being real. You know, and look, I hear what you have to say about, you know, the affirmative action thing. First of all, the thing that has to go is not admission standards being changed or lowered or, or, or people being propped up. We need no. to get rid of elitism. We need to get rid of this elitism Which you in can't the university get rid of system. Where, well, without these things. Not everybody can go to Harvard. Look, you and I both studied theater, okay? I went to Boston University for undergraduate, which at the time was one of the top 10 schools in the country for acting uh, in the 80s. Uh, I went there because my father taught there for 30 years and I didn't mm -hmm. pay tuition. I couldn't have, I wanted to go to Juilliard. Yeah. Of course I wanted to go to Juilliard. Not everyone can go to Juilliard. Not everyone yeah. can go to Yale. Well, and also when you think about the actual numbers and how many people who got into Harvard last year that parents and were legacy and their names on a wall versus well, the like another thing. 400 people who got to, who were allowed to apply. Because I think people think, oh, affirmative action is when black people get to go to Yale and their test scores aren't as good, but they just get to go because they're black. And it's like, no, you dumb fucking honky no, no, <laughs> that's not no. what it is I mean, personally personally i think affirmative action i i don't feel as disheartened or as passionate about this supreme court decision it's a if people are getting upset because it's a supreme court decision however we now have diversity equity and inclusion industrial complex billions of dollars infrastructural in human resources in admissions in housing in every area of every college and university in the country you've got a staff of people on staff who are 
policing diversity, equity, and inclusion standards and minimums and that's things. Not, but you so know, sweetie, still- that's not going to last because every black woman who was appointed as a a VP or a president of diversity inclusion at the networks in 2020 has been fired. You should look this up. That's because they suck. That's because they suck. And 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 here's the and thing: it, because the whole thing do sucks. they suck though, or uh, do? Or, or or are they introducing a system that is not beneficial to who it's been beneficial to the last 70 years? Well, because I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to get a job now. And it's like, but you've had the jobs for the last 40 years. What else do you want? I went through this with see, here, someone I worked with in Boston. It's a, that's a difficult one, though, to to parse because because somebody who looked like me from a much better family than I came from and a much more privileged background just happened to have the same level of melanin in their skin in the past 40 years had opportunity. Doesn't mean I have it. I live in section eight housing. I am on Medicaid. I'm an actor in New York city. I don't have any extras folks because I am half very white on my father's side and half Eastern European Jewish on my mother's side. does it have advantages? Of course. Are there ways of changing the, the the way that we see people and perceive people? But is it better, Brandon, to get rid of blind auditions for orchestras for the purpose of making sure that certain numbers of brown faces are sitting in pits and orchestras? Well, like we said earlier, Does- I don't like to talk about that because I don't know nothing about being in an orchestra. <laughs> I have not played an instrument <laughs> since 2006. So I'm gonna let them worry about that. But I do well, know- But see, the blind auditions were created actually for women. It wasn't for, it was to get, to give women more opportunities. They put up a screen or a curtain and you played your required piece for your audition on your violin behind a curtain and the person who played it the best got hired and there was this Ruth Bader Ginsburg speaking of Supreme Court was a huge advocate of blind auditions for orchestras because it completely changed the makeup of how many women were orchestras when you put it like that of course I'm gonna say yeah I love that I support it I support these structures I just feel like for me growing up in After the eight, I mean, I grew up in the early 2000s, became an adult in the early 2000s. And I can understand what you say that like, yes, there are other people who are like Rockefellers, they get all these privileges, but we're talking about like, we can strip it down to the fact of like, I won't get to the roles that you've played on your resume. I will never probably have the opportunity to play 85% of them just because I don't look like you. And I'm not saying that you live a better life. Parts that you would play. But there aren't any girl. There are. You know, I don't want to be a slave. That's... I don't want to be. All of the plays <laughs> are are trauma. You you want to see black people on stage in pain. That's so why Dream Girls about is such a big of... hit. And all of right. these shows are such a big hit because they're yes. it's trauma. And so I think that when we so have what do you think people... they're gonna? No, I don't think Dream Girls is about trauma. Girl, I don't. Are you I serious? Think it, I think they're all getting stolen from so. and abused. Yes, and like, yes, but but they overcome that. They that's overcome not glamorous. I, I want you all yeah. to hear me when I say that. The the <laughs> the brown people overcoming and and taking their boots by the straps and get that is not glamorous. And you do not need to aspire to that. Black people, let me tell you something. You can aspire to getting your nails done <laughs> once a week, putting your fucking foot up like uh these fucking blonde bitches. You can be you can be a soft life Barbie too, and we don't have to have. And you made this point earlier. But isn't that every story depressing as 
fuck yeah. from start it to is. finish. No, it is. Roots is the most dark sided thing, and you should see it with Ju- you should see it with Judaism being represented before you know there was this like Holocaust. reclaiming. Yeah. All these Holocaust stories. Do we need to see another Sophie's Choice? Do we need to see another Schindler's List? I personally don't. I don't. Yeah. And I agree with you. I agree with you. And I and I yeah. And I think that it's absolutely appropriate to be impatient and and over it when it comes to everything that is a prestige level project being something that has to appeal to this kind of wound, this kind of sociocultural historical wound. I get it. And you know what? I think, I don't think it's 85% of the things that are on my resume that you wouldn't play, but I do think that there are, that there are things that you absolutely could and should play. And I I see that changing. I think what we need to get into a conversation about, and I think we're starting to, like that, the Queen Cleopatra uh, uh, Tempest (laughs) in a teapot uh, that happened recently with the Netflix, uh, opened a conversation about what is colorblind casting? What is color conscious casting? And Mm -hmm. how does one ascribe to Mr. Kendi's points of view about colorblindness uh, and at the same time provide opportunities for people of color to play roles that are not traditionally, like what happened to non-traditional casting as a concept? Color and that for me is as- actual equity, like seeing Audra McDonald play this role in 110 in the Shade because she's Audra McDonald. It doesn't matter what yes. anyone else is doing in the show. For me, that is equity. That is letting someone who wouldn't normally, that's for me is um, affirmative action because she wouldn't normally be seen for something like that because she's black. And before that point, they would never, right. and it's not about like, oh, but well, I you wonder, can. I wonder if we, because I saw Audra McDonald in Carousel at Lincoln mm-hmm. Center Theater about a dozen times. I was working as an usher uh, in order to be able to see things because I had just come to New York and I didn't have any money and, and whatever. And I watched her play Carrie Pipridge in Carousel 1994 about a dozen times in the same cast as people like Shirley Barrett, who's this great opera diva who of color who played Ned, uh, Nettie Fowler and like just it, it, it destroyed, destroyed it. Incredible. Mm-hmm. But you watch Audra, I watched Audra in that role. And the reason Audra was playing that role was because she was the most spectacularly talented person available on Broadway to do anything at that moment. I mean, she just lit up the stage. It just was, and she had just come out of Juilliard. She was just exceptional. Look, people have had to overcome many, many, many things, but my all time hero, uh, person I would want most want to sound like in the world, Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. He overcame plenty of things, but we don't love Sammy Davis Jr. because he overcame shit. No, we we love him because he was fabulous. He could do everything. Yes. There was was nothing he could not do. And I want more of that. I want more Diane. I want to to live in a world where it's not just, okay, we're gonna do this show and it's gonna be all Asian people. And then we're gonna do this show and it's gonna be about because you're seeing it. We had K-pop, now we have Parade, and then you have, you know what I mean? And I'm sick of it. I'm fucking sick of it. I'm tired. Because things are done in a bureaucratic way within a corporate setting. So you've got a bureaucracy that's based on ticking certain boxes and making sure that everybody's saying the right things and doing the right things and using the right terms and filling the diversity quotas. You've got that bureaucratic kind of 
thing being imposed upon art. Good luck with that. Then you've got the corporate side of it that's all about how many TikTok followers you have, bitch. Which is like how much free publicity could I get out of your ass? For people like me who don't have TikTok, just so you guys know, it actually has been involved in my like auditions, which no auditions right now because there's a fucking strike. (laughs) Yes, we're on strike now, people. We joined the writers on the picket line officially. My first real job, and I can't even promote it because we're on strike. Woohoo! But it's in post-production or it's ready to go? We like can't what, do, it, it, no, it's it ready premiered. to go, but we can't do premieres. We can't, can't do social media. We can, I can't, damn it. I'm so Talk glad I posted. about that red carpet. Oh, I've already, like, I'm, I'm hopeful that we may work something out <laughs> before August 18th. Um, but <laughs> that's when yes. it premieres. But you know, the whole thing, I think uh, everyone's very passionate about. I like it. I like that people have opinions. I do see yes. a lot of the same structures of the past kind of being carried over now, but they're just like plugging in people of color, which is like not helpful because obviously it's the so whole it's system just a, that's broken. But is that a form of affirmative action though? Isn't I think they think it is. It? I think that what would be different would be not to do something that, um, to say, oh my God, we're getting yelled at because we don't have a company that's inclusive and we need to have a diversity person. And then you get one because of course it's going to fail. It's not, or it's, you don't care. The the no. foundation of your, of what you're promoting, what you're doing actually is that's inconsequential to it. You just don't want to get canceled. And so I think that when it's actually applied it's in defensive. a real way, it's not productive. It's defensive. Right. It's, it's like yeah. when it's done in a real way, like we worked in Arkansas together doing a play and that <laughs> staff was extremely diverse because they just let people apply. And I think that what we're also forgetting is that, you know, I started doing these things this year called generals for like, um, like the networks, like Warner brothers has a general and they're like trying to meet new talent. I didn't know that that existed until oh, no. this era of my career, because that shit is gatekeeping. You, people think that they're out there like doing the good work and fighting the good fight. And I'm like, you're not even in the room to fight. They are looking at 12 people and you're going to send in a tape, but they're not even going to look at it because they've already decided who they want. And so when I think about it, I'm like, no, we need these structures in place for those rooms because people are just thinking like, oh my God, like Netflix, da, 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 da. I'm seeing all these great supporting recurring characters. You're not really seeing any substantive change you're not seeing any of these groups portrayed in a different way you're seeing like the jewish funny guy still with like the thing and he's got an accent well i think people need to loosen up i think we need to get out of this death grip we're all in this white knuckling of let me just do what i need to do to survive yeah and maybe a strike will help i thought covid would help all of us like realize that we're all just human beings and we have everything taken away from us. It's the great leveler, but no, it didn't do that. It created even more dis, you know, disunity and more hierarchy. And, but yeah. I feel like, you know, what you're talking about is what we've been trying to do in the theater since Joseph Papp and the New York Shakespeare Festival and his vision for non-traditional colorblind casting in the classics, which has been, I think, the most productive uh, part of the industry for quite a long time. And the most upheld, Uh, actually, like, like in the- And the most honored. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I think also, I think the world of dance has opened up 
uh, a lot. And I think, and I think music to a great extent. Yeah. Um, I mean, Taylor Swift still has an album of the year, Grammy and Beyonce doesn't, but I mean. Well, there's that, but you know what? You can't have it all, darling. Well, that's the thing. Beyonce does have the most Grammys of any. I wish she does have it. (laughs) Well, she has it all. Let's just face it. She's got it all with, with, with gravy, you know, and croutons. She's got it all. I I just wonder like what we're giving the next generation because I look at like Sam Smith (laughs) I look at like Lil Nas X and like them both I love like I personally want to sleep with Sam Smith like are you listening Sam (laughs) a little three-way would be great um wear a raincoat oh (laughs) bring an umbrella Ella Ella honey because apparently she's into piss play yeah well Well, I'm I'm not gonna let her pee on me she did a whole production number look my thing about it is every every you know, you talk about what it was like to be a kid in the 80s. I mean, we can talk about that. The thing that we had that I don't know what you guys have and what the Gen Zers have, we had club life. Mm-hmm. So the thing to understand, and I'd rather talk about this than, than the, we're on strike anyway. We're not going to talk about the movie industry. Yeah, no, screw we're them. Strike. We're going to talk about fun shit. Uh, <laughs> fuck that. We're going to talk about the 80s and club life. Here's the thing. The way that we got our music, the way that we got our culture, was either through those fledgling like VH1 and you know mm-hmm. music videos, which were an extension of that, but we got it through the DJs who were the superstars who were spinning at the major clubs in New York, and all the major clubs were gay clubs. Mm-hmm. They were gay clubs, but everybody went to them because yeah, that's like they were like in like Madonna would show up and Dolly Parton and they'd like perform. Oh. Madonna show up. Junior Vasquez made Madonna. Yeah. Made Madonna. And you would go to Sound Factory Bar on on a Tuesday evening, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. (laughs) And up in the booth, there's Junior and there's Madonna right next to her. And we get his mix of her not yet released new single, which no one can while steal we're rolling put on, on Instagram. Quality because... drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a different so, time. But what it was, was we discovered the music first. We popularized it. We, every culture came together because people were, there, were, there was a big hip hop culture coming up at a very Afrocentric part of the club scene that was exclusive. And out of that came amazing crossover stuff because you know i don't know if you remember years ago i think it was time magazine i think it was time magazine there was this very controversial column by this black uh, opinion writer i forget her name and she wrote about how we can't allow gay white men to take our black diva attitude and our culture and our thing and i'm like first of all chicken and egg Second of all, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. chicken and egg. What no, no, the no. hell did white men impress on black ladies? Uh, Culturally, I'm talking about. I'm talking about diva. I'm talking about glamour. I'm talking about show business. I'm talking about who made Martha Wash a star. Who made Diana Ross a star? Who made these people stars? the gay community of every color. Gay oh, of course, people. they were there to help. Okay, now, now, 
if somebody goes, yes, and they're white, is that racist? It's no. gay is what it is. It's but gay. it is ta- no here. And I think with, with, I think there's a di- definitely a distinction there too because there's like there's a lot of you queens out there. Y'all have made y'all have created personalities that do not belong to you. Let's be very clear because Jamie, you will throw a y'all's queen maybe once in a six year process. Does that mean you're being <laughs> fucking racist? No, absolutely not because you actually have a personality. You hoes out here. Who are Yasmama, this twirl, oh, and you don't actually know how to carry on a conversation. Yes, bitch, you are co-opting a culture that does not belong to you, and you need to go out and get one that's real. Right. That's I put right. this on my thread the other day. I was like, how exhausting is it for you guys to have to change your entire personality according to whatever is popular at the moment? Uh, <laughs> but see, this is it, though. You would have loved, and you would have been beloved in the club culture of the 80s, because you had the avatar that people create these like false mm-hmm. like first of all drag queen drag queens are like stamped out like christmas cookies at this point <laughs> thanks mean, to ms rupaul i love my rupaul and stuff but not every drag performer needs to be able to do a cooter slam and wear kabuki makeup and have Ru- RuPaul a actually can't mid do any of those mid number costume reveal <laughs> it's so boring and conformist and we did not have that See, yeah, here's the point I did that. When I, say chi- when I say chicken and egg, I'm not saying white people gave black people their attitude. What I am saying is we all were out there in that culture together. And if you wanted to cut through and stand out, you created an avatar, a living, breathing persona, like a Kevin Aviance, like, um, like Kabuki Starshine, yeah, okay, like... That. Angel Sheridan, like any number of these bitches who followed Suzanne Barch around until that became too commercialized. I love that you, you know made uh, those distinctions because those people were yes. all so distinct and were all so original. Unique. They did not all have the same way that they spoke. They did not have all the same way that they dressed in the same, you know, yes, yes, silhouette that we see. And I think and that- RuPaul, RuPaul. I mean, look, I marched on Washington. In the early 90s, we bust our way down there. We got uh, every entrance to the mall because they were trying, the, the right was trying to downplay the numbers at this at this protest. And you got counted by volunteers and had a sticker that said, I've been counted because they were saying, oh, 50,000 people are on the mall. There were over a million people there, mm-hmm. okay? And RuPaul comes out. It was the first time any of us had seen her since Wigstock mm-hmm. in Tompkins Square Park. I was there for year two. Year one was spontaneous. If you know anything about Wigstock, y'all, if you don't, there's Apparently a they're still doing them sporadically. It's not happening. <laughs> well, <laughs> commercialism killed that shit too. Yeah. <laughs> when we commercialize our shit, I mean, say what you want to say about who's who's the better diva, whatever. Everybody knows that the black divas were the divas. We all know that. Uh, we all know that. We all, I live for Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey is my queen. Honey, she is my goddess, my empress, my are... ultimate. Whatever. She chewed that shit down. <laughs> Talk about diva. She's like, and we love all our divas, okay? Because we listen. Uh, we love them all. We needed them Celine. all. They stood out there. Yes, they stand. The reason why gay white men who don't t- you think? I mean, there's plenty of pressure, as you know, in black communities for black men to be men. It oh, yeah. let's talk hard. about it. To be let's a, talk about it. In that world, 
But for Toxic gay white masculinity. men coming up, oh my God. I mean, I love me some masculinity. Sometimes some toxic masculinity can be kind of fun too. It just depends on the mood that you're in. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's the self-hating. It's the self-hating part of being a sissy that in my time was so difficult to cut through in the gay world. Yeah. So when you went to the clubs and you put on your outfit and you, you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you could really you let belonged. loose. This is so you funny because belong. this is making me think about so many things. It's making me think about, you know, ballroom culture and um, yes. interracial yes. dating within the LGBT community. And recently, Billy Porter announced that he's getting a divorce from his husband, oh. um, who's been, he's wow. been married to for six years and has been dating for many, many years. Now, I'm just going to tell y'all what I know. This is not a legend. This is real. Now, Billy Porter's husband <laughs> used to be in my grinder and in my scruff routinely when I lived uptown before I met my man, because y'all know I am a doctor's wife and I, you know, I'm nasty, but I'm just nasty with my man these days. So- You're the bougiest <laughs> bitch I know. He satisfies me. Um, and there was all of this <laughs> chatter online about, well, because you know, the black community loves to be like, well, he went and got married him a white man and this and this, and you know, he's, they're breaking up and he should have found him a black man. And then there was this, which I loved on Twitter. I've never seen this sort of discourse before ever in my life. It's always just like fire and brimstone. There was this lovely discourse about, you know, what it means to be an out gay black man and what are the type of, you know, societal within our own community pressures that stem down from whatever we, I, I didn't go to grad school, but, um, you know, and how many of these like big straight presenting gay men are going to want to marry a drag queen are going to want to walk down the street with someone like Billy Porter who wears heels every day. And there was this back and forth discourse with it. And it really, you know, it made me think because when I was it's young, home, it's living, internalized homophobia and, and it's still it's, here. Well, yeah. And I, and I don't think that movies like bros is going to help anybody Nope. let it that... affirms the yeah. hierarchy there is a hierarchy look we used to have an expression straight acting mm -hmm. you would go to the personal ads back when then they were personal ads <laughs> uh and you know no apps we didn't have apps uh uh and and it would be like the one of the first things they would say is straight acting and appearing meaning that in order for you to be sexually viable and sexually attractive to a gay man, to another man, you had to appear to be straight. There was one way of being masculine and everything that came down below it, there was a hierarchy of how sissified you were. And down Which to I the give trans your generation women. People before you a break on that. I do, because it was, I am just being in my generation, it feels like it's about survival and, you know, self-preservation and like, you know, the bandanas and the life, you know, it's like, we're just trying to like get through the day, but now today in 2023, the fuck? <laughs> I exactly right. Yeah. And I always felt like I've got a very butch side to me. I was part of the leather community for four years in it. I went to MAL, I went to IML, I did it now. I know I, I have MAL in my basement Saturday night. Me, just letting you know. Yes, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. I knew they'd get to that rec room sooner or later. Sooner they had to later. finish the pool deck first. <laughs> they had to finish, you know, putting the Roman pool deck together. Uh, now, I mean, look, I always felt like 
when I did get to an age where I was a not sexually repressed because I came out in 1984 and I was terrified of AIDS as we all were and I didn't have sex I didn't nobody went near certain areas of my body for until the early 90s and then I got into a very serious long-term monogamous for a long time relationship because I was terrified yeah but once I started to really explore the many facets of my masculinity as a man, as a gay man, a man who loves men, all of those things, and I explored these different facets of my personality and, and, my, and my imagination and, 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 and who I wanted to be in the world, I realized I'm privileged. I could be a big queen and then I can go and play daddy. Yes, that's that code switch, that code switch you can do. I just thought that we were allowed because we had been sort of ejected from what it meant to really be a real man that we could make up our own mind about that. But there is plenty. I think you can. I I mean, I think you, you know, everyone. I'm a a big fan of Dave Chappelle, but he is a homophobe in the way that straight men of his background are not down with sissy men. And it's not even transphobia. It's 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 actual fear, though. But I think it actually is fear. Like yes, most people yes. when they say, "Oh, he's a homophobe," like no, he's a bigot. He's hateful. Donald Trump isn't scared of anything because I'm pretty sure he sucked a dick. But Dave Chappelle, if a gay man <laughs> sat next to him on a plane and they touched knees, he would be afraid. You can feel that. You can feel that. And I and it's weak. It's so- but, you know, it's weak, but it's societal. Yeah. It's societal. And it's also about where did you grow up and what neighborhood did you grow up in? And you know this yeah. from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Who's the most vulnerable? Who's Who can pass? Who can just get through under the radar and get through? Right. And I, you know, I have this amazing story. I'll tell this little anecdote because it will, it'll bring us back to like what it means to be Yas Queen. I was a female <laughs> impersonator for 10 years in New York. Um, oh, I recently found out that I was on Geraldo. Okay, Geraldo Rivera used to have a daytime talk show called Geraldo. And, you and I was this. in the world. Theme. Oh, you got, go to YouTube. I'll give you the YouTube link. I can't believe some queen preserved this appearance. And I was in the world famous Lacage Review, which was uh, had been in Vegas forever and ever and ever. And it was drag, mostly drag impersonators, very high level lip syncing, but I was doing Lauren McCall at the time. I hadn't started mm. doing Marlena Dietrich yet and doing the vocal and everything. And I was hired to be part of this drag show. And we were on the Geraldo show and the things you won't believe the questions that people asked. Are you a transsexual? Are you a cross-dresser? Um, and, I, and I found myself at one point, you're like, Geraldo asks me and I'm on the panel, we're all in drag. And Geraldo asked me, he's like, so do you consider yourself a cross-dresser, a transgender? I said, I'm an actor. Yeah. I don't dress like this to dust. It's it it exists. Okay, so anyway, uh I'm doing this impersonation and I'm kind of out there. And there used to be something called the Heritage of Pride Festival. And I don't know if it's still around, but it was this, they would take over the Chelsea Piers along the Hudson River. And uh there'd be a whole day of like it was like performances, there was a big stage and it was outdoors, and it was this all kind of festival of pride. And I was performing as part of the lineup as Melora McCall in a black sequin gown in like 80 degree weather in Manhattan in the middle of summertime. Uh, and, I'm, and I went up and I did my number and I came off and there's all this applause and I'm 
inside the tent where they were keeping all of us. And there's a rope line next to the tent. And this group gaggle of guys my age are at the rope like, Jamie, Jamie, over here, over here. And I go over, turns out these are three guys I went to public school with. Wow. That I went to junior high and high school with who I did not know were gay, who stayed away from me like I was radioactive when we were kids because I was the only one getting picked on and they didn't want any of that heat, right? And they come over and they're like, oh my God, we're so proud of you. Everything that you're out there doing, yes, queen, you're out there being a drag queen and good for you and all those things. And I looked at them and I went, would have been better to have been friends when we were kids and stuck up for each other. Yeah. Have a nice day. Happy Pride. Which I will say, you Gen Zers, you are standing up for each other. You are. You like good. The youth, good. You should. They they have their backs. They have each other's backs like no other generation I think ever has. Which is why I think we're seeing this big culture clash. And for someone like me, who really I love to think. I don't know if I actually do it in practice, but I like to think that I'm someone who is like Barack Obama, and I can sit down and have lunch with anybody. Um, I hope and, you can. I'm sure you can. Yeah, I know I, that some people can. can't. Some people can't. And um, well, you have to cultivate that. You have to cultivate that. And what that requires, and I think you know this, Brandon, you have to be curious about other people. Yeah. The only way to make that happen, the only way to be able to walk into any room, a la Daya Han, who was also married to a white man, by the way, quite a wonderful singer named Victim. Uh, they were a power couple in their day. And the people, they, they read her for filth and ashes. Diana Ross too. Oh, they, she married a read, white man and moved to they Germany. They read Sammy Davis Jr. What he came under. Oh, the, well, they, the, he, the reverse they were, he was Uncle Tom he and this, all of this, you know. Ooh, which Because he married a Swedish girl, you know. It's just crazy. Well, and he, we he, need he had to some political views to... that people didn't like, you know. <laughs> well, he did. He did. And it was the Nixon era. And yeah, yeah. that was so, tough. But but here's the thing, guys. The reason I love Brandon, the re- you know, if I'm a mama, I I would be a very proud mama. Although I know his actual mama, and she's hot shit. She is, <laughs> she is hot shit. Uh, but no, my my thing is Brandon is one of those people, and I aspire to be like this, and I think I am to a degree, who can walk into any situation, any group of people, and it has nothing to do with how he presents this part of this as an actor personally I find to be I'm over it of how people present you know what stop presenting and how about being and how about instead of walking in and crafting your your persona Mm -hmm. for the gathered hordes you taking it hi who are you what's your name like when I was a kid okay when I was a young man coming up and the type of men I was attracted to, going back to this whole masculinity thing. <laughs> yes, I, my, like, my, like, show business crush was Tom Selleck. Oh, my goodness. Magnum P.I., hairy <laughs> chest, big mustache, curly hair, burly, burly arms. Like Still that looking good, Tom, by the way. Hyper- looking good. Looking good. We could all do, do worse than that than to age like Tom Selleck uh but a great gorgeous man hot masculine whatever and yes when you're a young sissy kid and you've been and you've been ostracized and stuff you you want the reassurance of that kind of a masculine presence but the guys I always was the most attracted to I dated a bartender from in Boston when I was in my 20s briefly 
Never date a bartender, people. <laughs> the Just hours, do the it. hours. They're professional flirts. Flirt all you want, yeah. but the consummation is not devoutly to be waived. And, you know, they were the guys who were like, hey, how you doing? Like, had like they were oblivious to being gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Rippling muscles had no idea how gorgeous they were because they were so interested in you. Yeah. And so charmed by you. And what do you, oh, what do you See, do? Because I've always been into the fat boy in the room. Like I, the fat boy, always, I've always just found like, people are like, oh yeah, like Liam Hemsworth is so hot. And I'm like, he's not, you guys. He has just been, he's been on every magazine since the day he's born. (laughs) And you keep saying that he's hot, but like, is he hotter than like your husband? Probably not. Like he's (laughs) probably not. (laughs) People's actual predilections and fetishes fetishes and 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 things they're attracted to are very very different in secret than they are in public which annoys me and it is annoying (laughs) well look you just have to get inside their head you know just figure it out but you know my thing with it is um you don't realize that a chubby guy is going to be hot to be with until you have sex with one (laughs) Well, and it, it breaks my heart. I know that, that sounds like, terrible. That, people were like, "No, you're hot," because like when I talked about Sam Smith earlier, like he posted. Uh, well, he's not hot. To his, me. Oh, I think he's just like, oh my god! Especially now that he's got the weight back on, because when he lost all the weight, I was like, "You look like an alien." And now I'm just like, "No, you're thick, <laughs> you're juicy. God made you like this. Like you, I will uh, slap your ass as hard as I can, and you will like it." <gasps> absolutely those cute little lips and people are like dragging him online like this is disgusting and i'm like would it be i don't think he's disgusting i just think it's vulgar i mean look it's all a matter of taste you know i think people who own their sexuality own who they are you know i watched lizzo's show with with great interest her her reality show Mm -hmm. and those girls who can move Oh my God, yeah. some of these girls. Love it. But the ones who really own their fitness, own their the fullness of their body, all this stuff, you can't teach that. That yeah. is like that is a lot of nurture. That's I think, not too. the reason. It's not the reason why Lizzo's not a star because Lizzo lets it all hang out. The letting it all hang out is an extension of who Lizzo is. Yes, she's talent. insanely talented. Yeah, I mean, she's insane. So like the fluting, the flautist, the piano, goodness, the, like the vocals, the face, all of that. I mean, the face. Y'all hoes getting plastic surgery problem. to look like bitches like Lizzo. I'm just letting y'all know. Y'all are going to the doctor <laughs> to get y'all's faces like this is, to look like that. <laughs> this is the problem with our culture. Our culture is more concerned with what things look like than what they actually are, mm-hmm. and we are subjected to old tropes and old ideas of what is hot and what is sexy and what is a beautiful body and what is not a beautiful body and all of those things. But we approach it in a very conventional way. We approach it in very, very rigid, very unimaginative ways. And what I like is people who are all the things at once. I like it when people are a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and they surprise you. Like when Gaga came out, I was very snarky about Gaga in the beginning <laughs> because all I had seen of Gaga was her in drag, yeah. basically her in drag. And I thought, we already have our drag queens. Thank you very much. Cultural appropriation. We have <laughs> better than you. So 
whatever. <laughs> and I was a real bitch about her. And then the first time I saw her on like a, I don't know, MA or whatever it was, where she sat at a piano and just mm -hmm. played a song and sang, I went, oh, fuck. Like, this woman is everything. Yeah. And the rest was an act. So like when you see her movie, you see Star is Born. Not a great movie, although. Pretty great performances, but like, no, yeah, the movie was killed all right. It, killed it. Yeah, well, I wanted to kill her, her manager. The manager. Wow. Right. That made me mad. They did he a was great responsible. Job, oh, it was they did great. a great job. But like, she tells that story through that movie when they package her up and dress her like Judy Jetson. That's an old reference. But dress her <laughs> up in that like tinfoil outfit with the, with the bright orange wig. Yeah, it gets in the way. Yeah. Like one of my favorite divas of all time is Annie Lennox because Annie Lennox, even when she was doing the shape-shifting thing, Annie Lennox and Grace Jones to me are the, the ebony and ivory of the 80s, genderqueer, yeah. like subversive. We are going to be everything. Like, who's that girl? You've got to watch that Annie Lennox, who's that girl video where she's shape-shifting. Oh yeah, I've seen that video. Oh, and and Grace Jones was doing the same thing. They were fucking with you, like really fucking with you. But I don't know what Grace is doing now, aside from being a goddess somewhere. Yeah, like drinking champagne in France, I'm sure. I don't know where she is. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I'll tell my little Grace Jones story uh, before before we hang, we ha before we stop hanging. Um, but now she's an older woman. She sings duets with her daughter, who's actually quite fabulous in her own right, not as fabulous as her mother, but who could be. Um, she doesn't have to try so hard anymore, but she's, her tr her authenticity, her truth. Yeah. Which I think it's lacking because palpable. it's all yes. about the avatar. It's all about the 15 seconds on TikTok and there's no substance underneath. And- Like Jennifer Lewis, Jennifer Lewis, who I adore. I kick in. I, <laughs> that's authenticity beyond, that is PhD level. Yeah. Of telling the truth. Yeah. But she's always been like that. I remember Jennifer Lewis at Don't Tell Mama in the early 90s doing her cabaret act with her big jewelry and her, you know. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer Lewis has always been out there. She's been truthful about her mental health journey. She's been truthful about her sexual addictions, her various addictions, her things. But that is not what makes her a force in the world. What makes her a force in the world is she knows who she is and that fits anywhere. And she's really <laughs> good fits. at what she's presenting to us. Like, if you're going to be a yeah. vocalist, like it's even like with the, I think it's probably why you are so easily able to say, well, you know what? The Sam Smith stuff isn't for me. Unlike a lot of these other people who are like, Oh, everybody needs to relax. Unclench the sphincter, darling. Like, no, it's not that deep. So I don't and it's think been done. Let's peeing be on somebody as a production number at Madison Square Garden is, is the height of taste. Personally, no. I don't. I, however, at The Saint in 1988, I think it was 88, I don't know, it's a bit of a blur, was at The Saint in New York City when at three or four o'clock in the morning, sometime in the crazy hours of the morning, the music stopped. We all stood there rolling on whatever we were rolling on and watched Agog as Grace Jones was carried in in a cage mm. carried by four bodybuilders in Roman loincloths through the crowd to the stage 
while she snarled like a panther and like at people that they passed and they get her up on stage. She gets out of the cage. He's completely naked. naked. Yes, you were there. And a necklace. I've read about this and like, you were in the room. That's crazy. And we were like, oh, like all of us gagged, gagged. And she stood there and said, I don't even know what she's saying, honey. Well, it's like when I, I, I saw Gaga for the first time, because I, I was also snarky about her as well. I was like, oh, she's so oh. annoying. And then I saw her and I saw the tour where she was like vomiting on people and like oh, doing no. like the most. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to see that. Things. But <laughs> underneath it, it's something so real and something so good. Like I will allow it. Like I'm not an Ozzy Osbourne see, my fan. Thing Y'all is... watched him eat animals, bite animals' heads exactly off. Exactly right. And... and Y'all think he's like the god of rock. So I'm just Look, like- I have no problem with provocateurs. And you talk about the 80s, honey. That's what it was all about. It was the Reagan administration. <laughs> People were over it, over it. And so there wasn't really anything you could do that was too much. Yeah. And the music industry especially was at the forefront of this kind of level of creativity. But ultimately you didn't cross over. You didn't reach that level unless you had the goods. Yeah, because we were listening to the music on Already. our Walkman, Sony Walkmans. You know, we were listening to the music. We weren't watching the music. Yeah. We weren't commenting on your outfit until the video came out. In the vi- I mean, I didn't know Madonna was white until the album came out, <laughs> and I saw that picture of her with the white hair. You know, the white blonde hair, and I went, "Oh, I thought she was a black girl." Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, uh, but. The reason there was so much racial diversity in the music industry of the 80s was because we were reaching into, it was the first time we had world music. Yeah. And world music was an embracement of African musical styles and Caribbean, Jamaican, reggae, the huge reggae revival. Yeah. And then Marley dies in the middle of it all, you know. Uh, But the way that people were sampling, what we would call sampling now, you know, from different musical Mm -hmm. styles. And we had also come on the other side of that Dreamgirls Motown uh, establishment of of a, a, I would say a royal family of the Jacksons and Diana Ross and the Supremes and Gladys Knight. and, And that's bled into the 80s when we had people like Anita Baker coming in and Phyllis Hyman and Anita Baker, who is a mean lady. Austin and (laughs) I bet, but boy, she was so mean. (laughs) She gave Barry White a run for the money for our makeup music. I mean, oh yes. With that like that like crazy head voice. Um, yeah, so you know, <laughs> it's interesting to to have this chat with you and to see yes, um, and for our listeners, I don't know to see like this these very different perspectives. And I think that um, one thing that I lo- have been loving to bring to you guys is um, a little bit of a lighter approach to some of these heavier topics that we have to deal with. Because when we talk about our Bravo TV shows, you know, we we a lot of shit gets brought up because obviously there's a lot of bullshit in the media and in, you know, just real life. So I wanted to give you guys a lovely Friday episode with my darling, beautiful Jamie. Jamie, let everyone know where they can find you. Let them know what your Instagram is, where they can find your podcast. Okay. Uh, uh, Let's see. Okay. So I write a weekly uh, essay 
Uh, I've written 30 essays so far since the beginning of March on my Substack, which is called The Cornfield. So it's jamesbeeman.substack.com. And I'll put this all in the links, you guys, by the way. Uh, yeah, and I've got The Cornfield Podcast, which Brandon, we have a two-parter, uh, part two just came out and it's fabulous uh of our conversation and that appears on my youtube channel the cornfield with james beeman at the cornfield with james beeman and you can find me on instagram i forget what it is i forget what, what it insta is but i'm on there i'm on the insta um and uh and facebook of course and i if you're in the connecticut area i'm doing summer stock uh, I'm playing the role of Fagan in Oliver, the musical of Oliver Twist, out at the Sharon Playhouse from August 4th, August 20th. That's my next thing. And, uh, and hopefully we'll all be doing films and TV. We need to do something together, Brandon. We need to do like a buddy a buddy series or a mama, a mama and chick. Uh, I still have to take over your entire life and like fire everyone who works for you and replace them. <laughs> Could you please? Because I honestly would love to. It's, okay, it's, please do. it's insane. Um, but yeah, you guys say a little prayer for um, SAG and the AMP yeah. and WGA and, and, and every and WGA everything because um, if not, you ain't gonna have nothing to watch on TV. And maybe my podcast, maybe I'll get paid more for my podcast because more of you guys will be listening and the ads <laughs> will just go through the roof because there's nothing to watch on TV. So here's hoping. And all I will say, all I'll say to your your <laughs> listeners is, you know, we are all of us of our time. We are all of us of our generation. We cannot help but be. We, mm. we can only aspire to be better and to treat each other with more love and more acceptance and more encouragement. And, and the rest of it doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I know some of you out there, you know, your, your eyebrows are up in your hairline. Chicken and egg, what does he mean? Rah, rah, rah. I'm like, if it weren't for the gays, Martha Walsh wouldn't have had a career and we wouldn't have It's Raining Men. And that would be the end of that. Which is the point. We did let him clarify, you guys. So like, we're not going to go ham because y'all know me. I like to fight in the comment section. I fight. You can fight. You can fight. And y'all have like never beat me in the comment section. Y'all know that. <laughs> so don't try to think you're going to beat mother now because the torch is being passed. <laughs> but I will say this. I, it, I, part of becoming a graceful Diahan slash Dame Shirley level of diva is to grow into your humility yeah. your true humility about what it is you know and what you don't know and admitting when you're wrong and 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 expecting people to listen up when you're right because you don't knowing when you're wrong is really important but knowing what right is mm -hmm. takes time and gray silver hairs mm -hmm. i think to find and it only comes when you embrace other people around you and give them a chance to be all the things that they need to be. And Brandon, you're a star. You know that. And you know that you, I want to be just like you when I grow up. So oh. yeah, take over my career, please. I'm taking Move it over. in the right direction. You guys are going to okay. see Jamie more and more and more. And um, we'll see you next time. <laughs>